Today's episode is sponsored by the game Regency. Step into history to compete as history's most infamous rulers in this civilization-themed interactive tableau-building set collection game. Exercise influence over citizens to grow your fiefdom to the greatest in all of history. With the addition of each new cast of citizen, including nobles, religious, military, merchants, commoners, and brigands, new actions and reactions become available, thrusting players into an increasingly dynamic and competitive environment. Regency has truly gorgeous artwork, as well as some of the best cultural and gender diversity featured in a historical game. So check out Regency on Kickstarter now. And if you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about everybody's favorite topic, talking about failure, talking about what it looks like to fail, to learn, and to come back better, faster, stronger, smarter, all those good things, overcoming failure in the game design and game publishing space. What does that look like? And we're talking to James Fazio from Peak Games. James, welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much, Gabe. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, really glad to have you here. This is, uh, interestingly enough, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, something I end up talking to people about all the time, whether it's someone I'm doing a consult or like a coaching call with, and they're dealing you know, with a, a Kickstarter that has, has failed for whatever reason, and now they're trying to come back and relaunch or talking to new up-and-coming game designers that are trying to get their arms around the industry. Like, what does it look like to be a game designer? Failure is something that, uh, it's an interesting topic. It's got a lot of really cool stuff going on psychologically, statistically, all there's like a lot of cool angles. And so I'm really excited just to talk to you about it. I know you have experienced some different uh, angles, different failures in the game design, game publishing space. But before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, so I'm James Fazio, and I've I've sort of been um, you know designing games since. Uh, since I was a kid, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons at the at the earliest stages, and um, in fact, I was sort of raised in a in a in a very strict fundamentalist home, and so Dungeons and Dragons was of the devil, and so because of that, um, you, you know, it was it was completely taboo, and what that meant for me was I had to play without any without any physical resources, without any books. I just had to play with in, in the imagination of the mind with my friends. And, and so uh, even in the, in the playing of role-playing, uh, we, were, we were basically having to create the rules as we went along, doing our best to, to fake uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons. So, um, you know, from that to uh, uh, the early in the alpha and beta stages of Magic the Gathering, you know, deck building, putting my own... I loved every opportunity that I had to um, kind of take take control of um, crafting my own game. Uh, most recently, I've I've um, 
got involved in uh, playing a game Conan by Monolith uh, several years ago, came across that game. And uh, it's got a lot of great, um, a lot of great maps and a lot of great content in there. And uh, one of the things that it does is it allows uh, the community to create scenarios. It just gives you the tools to make your own. And and after uh, figuring out the ropes on how the game is played, I said, well, this is this is fun. Uh, let me see if I can make it even funner. And and right away got to try to tweak it and make my own scenarios. And so it's just always kind of been a part of of what I do. Very cool. And yeah, you, you tell a similar story to a lot of people that I've talked to and interviewed for the show. It starts off with Dungeons and Dragons. It's just something about that game that lends itself to creativity and uh, turning out game designers. And so that's that's pretty cool, man. And uh, let's uh, let's just hop in to the lovely topic of failure, something that uh, everyone experiences, some of us to greater extents than others. But uh, a lot of times we don't want to talk about it because it's painful. It brings up tough memories and tragic situations sometimes. And so before we get into it, what are we really talking about as, as it relates to game design, game publishing? Let's get a good little working definition of kind of success and failure, I think would be good to talk about both of those. Like, how do you define those things right now? Yeah, that's great. Um, and, you know, the thing is, uh, I, I've listened to so many podcasts and, and read so much on the topic. And, you know, you always hear um, success stories. And obviously, we know there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more failures on Kickstarter than there are successes. And um, I, I think really the failure that that really matters when we talk about like going to Kickstarter and failing is is the one that you don't recover from. The one that just kind of kicks you down, kicks you out and uh, just just leaves you, you know, kind of broken and, and, and cast aside. And um, I think if you can learn from your experiences, if you can grow from them, then, um, you know, you're, you're, you're just one, one more step closer to succeeding. And when you look at it from that approach of the long haul of what it is you're, you're setting out to do, um, it's not going to be easy. You realize that from the start, um, you know, every time you fail, you just found one more way that, that, that it's not working, but, um, you realize that, that you take enough steps and you keep at it and, uh, you know, eventually success will be inevitable. It's just a question of when, not if. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I want to, in just a minute, define success in different ways, in different angles, different experience levels. I think that's another thing is, you know, there's no one size fits all by any stretch of the imagination. It totally depends on your individual situation. And I think that's something to always keep in mind is not taking on the idea or concept or definition of success for you that doesn't belong to you. Maybe it belongs to someone else or some other company. I want to talk about that in just a minute. But before we get into that, you you brought up the idea that a lot of times we focus on the successes, the case studies that say, you know, I had nothing and nobody and then I made a million dollars. And I feel like those, those stories are good and you can learn a lot from them, but we have to be really careful of what is known as survivorship bias or survival bias. And that's the idea that we only focus on or we give the majority of the focus to a person or a situation that made it out alive or made it out in spite of all the odds. And we just disregard the 99% of the other people who didn't make it out, who didn't overcome, who didn't achieve what they set out to do. I feel like a lot of times we only focus on that 1%. And that is a, uh, a disservice, an injustice to reality, because the majority of people don't succeed in what they chase after when it comes to entrepreneurship or publishing something online or, you know, making a bunch of money on Kickstarter or whatever it is. Most people don't make it. And I feel like if you don't keep that in perspective, then it can be very disheartening. It can be very depressing. 
to the point where maybe you just give up and you just quit because you're looking around like, look at all these people success, you know, being successful and doing the things that they're setting out to do and making all this money. And this person made $300,000 with their first campaign on Kickstarter, but you're not looking at the reality. So let's talk about that for a second. What have you found in your own personal situation, both as a designer, as a publisher, that maybe you've run into this whole survival bias? You know, I think that's a psychological academic term. But anyway, tell me a little bit about that and how do you fight through it? How do you overcome it? Yeah. Well, um, you know, so you asked me to sort of define the success and failure. So that probably is a good way to to begin with that setting of of looking at what do we measure as successful or, um, you know, failing in an endeavor. And the, uh, the fact is, obviously, Kickstarter defines uh, very, very clearly, you hit your funding goal, and it says this campaign was successful. And you fail to fund, and it says, you know, this campaign failed to fund. So there you go. You've got your word successful or failure right there. Um, but, you know, we've all seen it. Uh, we've seen the uh, campaigns that have, you know, the funded for 300,000 or a million or I mean, just, you know, massive, massive successes by by that standard. And, and yet how many times have we seen um, campaigns that have funded and uh, they've made some massive blunders after some have completely failed to deliver? Um, others just created such a such a failed experience afterwards that the backers would never trust them and never never uh, come back for a, a second product. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more to it than simply successful funding, and uh, so understanding that you know if we separate the the sort of um, uh, concept of of the you know the financial success or failure of funding or not failing as as, as being the litmus test for success or failure, uh, you know, you, there's a, there's a full experience that's going on here. I mean, you need to, you need to generate an audience. You need to connect with your backers. You need to deliver, you need to deliver a good game. You, you know, there's, there's so much involved and there are so many steps along just to get to the point of hitting the launch button. There's, there's a lot of steps you need to take to get there. And then all the way to delivering that game. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for failure. We, we, we can kind of focus on the reaching the funding goal or not as 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 a major achievement, and and it is. It's to take nothing away from that, but to understand that's just one small piece of the puzzle when we talk about um, you know success in 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 game design. Um, and, and in fact, it's it probably has much less to do with game design at that point because you're really it's mainly success in marketing um, than the delivery and. And uh, if if we're talking about game design, success is going to be, did you design a good game? You know, so there's so many different things to consider in this uh, process. And and it's just important to kind of keep your head uh, uh, focused on those things and not and not just wrapped up in um, kind of this this uh, whether whether it funds or not, at least the first time around. Right. I completely agree. And I think it is so important, especially when you're just starting out, is to understand basically some self-awareness and understanding where you're at. If you have just started game designing, like you've been doing this 15 minutes, then cut yourself some slack. Like you're not going to be Matt Leacock. You're not going to be Eric Lang. You're not going to be Elizabeth Hargrave winning a Spiel des Jahres. Like you're, you're just not. Like it's not going to happen. And that's okay. Because the first game that those people d- designed were probably trash and you're never going to see them because they got thrown away because they were bad ideas and they didn't work. And maybe it never even got turned into a prototype. The first idea was just an idea and it never even turned into an actual game, let alone a product. It'd be like sitting down to write a novel and assuming that the first thing you're ever going to write 
is the old man in the sea from Hemingway or Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. Like, it's just preposterous to think that. And so I think some self-awareness of, of thinking, okay, I am the equivalent of a, a child learning how to play basketball for the first time, right? I, I'm 10 years old. I've never even touched a basketball. And now they give me a ball. I'm in a gym and I don't even know what the rules are. I don't even know what the, what do these lines mean? What is this? Uh, there's one line here. That's a free throw. What does that mean? It's free. I don't Like you just have to learn the rules first and then you learn how to dribble. You learn how to pass. You learn how to shoot. You start putting things together. Eventually you'll get to scrimmage. Eventually you get to a place where you can play in a game. You're still not any good. And the game's going to end up six to two and after 45 minutes because nobody can score like that's that's the equivalent of what's going on in game design when you're just starting out and i feel like getting cutting yourself some slack defining success for you personally based on where you're at right now not comparing yourself to other people this is something i had to just drill into my 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 mind my brain my being for a while was that comparison is the thief of joy. And if I'm spending a whole lot of time comparing my situation to somebody else's or my current success to somebody else's or my current failures, somebody else, whoever, it doesn't matter, whatever situation, if I'm comparing myself, then I'm honestly robbing myself of any joy that I would be experiencing based on how far I've come. And so the reality is I should not compare myself to others. I should compare myself to a previous version of me. So where am I now versus the me of an hour ago of designing a game? Right. An hour ago, I had nothing. And now I have like five ideas written down on a piece of paper. OK, well, I am five ideas ahead of where I was an hour ago. Where am I this year versus three years ago? I am light years ahead of where I was three years ago. I'm not looking at Rob Davio. I'm not looking at somebody making a million dollars on Kickstarter. I'm looking at me of a couple years ago. And where am I now? And I'm seeing progress. I'm seeing success. So I think it's super important not to get caught up comparing yourself to other designers, other companies, other Kickstarter campaigns, especially if you don't know those situations, if you don't even know the, the reality of what they went through to get there. And so have you experienced that in your own situation where you found yourself comparing and then maybe feeling kind of bad about yourself? Oh yeah, sure. It's, it's inevitable. And this is, this is a big part of the challenge. I mean, it's, it's mental and it's what we do in beating ourselves up because, you know, again, we, we, we oftentimes, uh, uh, you, you know, the, the, the examples that are trotted in front of us over and over again are the successes. And we just need to remember that, um, that you know those are those are sort of far and few and 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 they're not they're not really the the i mean as as we said before there's there's a lot more failures than there are successes and uh um, you know so so to to compare against that yeah it's 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 still what you want to do i mean it, but but the real failure is going to come in by giving up by not trying anymore by just by just letting it keep you down and say well that's uh you know i, I guess i'm just not cut out for this and it's uh, it's hard. I mean, it takes its toll on you. And, and that's a big part of it is really just having that, that, um, that, that inner peace and that ability to sort of just transcend the, 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 the metrics that we can get caught up in, in looking at numbers or looking at, uh, at where it's at right now. And, um, and instead just focusing on, uh, the, the product. I, I, I want to kind of use it as an example. Uh, sometimes, you know, we all have familiarity with with movies and Academy Awards, and and a lot of times um, the, the the blockbusters are not the same ones that are winning the awards at the awards night. You know, um, the, the 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 sort of financial revenue, the 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 box office numbers don't match the the quality of the film. In fact, sometimes there's real indie films or uh, you know art 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 house films or things like that. And and so you know by by uh, we have a tendency to equate the financial success with success and make that what it's all about. Um, but, but I think we need to take a, a much, a much more holistic approach to it. Um, and, and these are things I'm saying, look, in the end, 
<laughs> it's it's got to fund. I mean, we've we've got to we've got to get enough backers. It, it's not just about money; it's about people believing in the product. I mean, you know, so so you've you've got to get the game out there um, so that you can get it produced and uh, you can you can um, it can be on game shelves and it's it's just the next step. But the point is realizing that if it didn't happen once, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen unless you give up. You're going to be the only person who's going to make that determination of whether or not it's done and over or whether or not you just learned from that experience and you're able to take the next step towards succeeding. And uh, that's where the, the battle is often won or lost. It's, it's, it's in our heads. It's in our minds. It's, it's just that everything that we, that we deal with psychologically in that experience. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I think it's so important to remember that the only person you're actually competing against is you. You're you're not actually competing against all these other people. You're trying to see who is the best person that I can become personally. And if I'm a game designer, then what is the best possible game designer that I can become? Not looking at other people because if you spend again, if you keep if you keep comparing yourself to other people, you're going to find yourself in a really tough place mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And so where am I now versus where I, where was I 15 minutes ago, an hour ago, a year ago? And then really focusing on that, trying to beat your own best time, I guess is a good way to, to put it. And you bring up another good point is the idea that there are certain things in life that are just going to naturally do a whole lot better with your, in, in art, whether you're talking about movies or music. I mean, think about how many pop songs have made a gazillion dollars, have had a billion views on YouTube, whatever. And the song has like 20 words and it's just, it's a useless piece of, of music. Like it's not a, it just get, but it gets stuck in your head and people can't stop listening to it and they can't stop singing along and humming it and all. And that particular pop artist will get, you know, all these sold out arenas on stuff. But then you have someone on the opposite side who's making this really deep, emotional, impactful music that's really connecting with the people that listen to it. And, you know, they have 10,000 listens on Spotify or something like that. Like that's just the nature of it. And so if you're one of those people that makes those really engaging emotional songs or Euro games or whatever it is that just the natural audience is much, much smaller than a mass market game. Like who don't step in it. Don't step in it is a mass market game about not stepping in poop. It's kind of like pin the tail on the donkey, except it's poop related. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's sold 2 million copies. Like don't compare your Euro game that, that probably has an audience of 10,000 people to that, you know, and because yeah. you're just going to be frustrated. And so I think that's just something to, to definitely uh, remember. But at the same time, you do need to look at these other campaigns or other games or other designers and maybe get some best practices. So yeah. don't necessarily compare yourself, but at the same time, look and see what other people are doing. So tell me about that in your own personal design, like figuring out, okay, what are other people doing that I can now take on my own, in my own process right. or from my own company? So, so yeah, let me share a little bit, maybe use that opportunity is it kind of just share my experience and what, and what it, what it kind of looked like for me. And, in um, um, obviously plenty of examples of people who have done it, who have succeeded. Uh, but for us, it was, uh, it was uh, end of February, early March of uh, 2020. And uh, so actually a, a year ago now. And, Sounds like a uh, decade ago, man. I don't know. What you're talking about. <laughs> I know it sure feels like it, doesn't <laughs> it? We've been put through the ringer, but um, you know, it, it was right then when, when COVID broke out and uh, we, we were, and I live in California, Southern California, we were um, one of the more impacted states and uh, had a stay home order. And we, we, even though we were, you know, told 14 days to, to stop the curve and things like that before long, we figured out that it, it was kind of going to be indefinite. And we knew we'd have a long time, um, an indefinite period of time to be stuck at home. And um, we, we, seized that opportunity rather than just saying, uh, well, let's, uh, let's, um, 
you know, just kind of hole up and, uh, you know, stop doing or stop creating. We don't know what's going to, what's around the corner. Instead, we said, look, why don't we use this opportunity? We're at home. We're a family. We're together. I've got four kids. I've got teenagers. I've got, um, you know, my wife, uh, we've been married for 23 years. Um, we've been, you know, w- when I started playing magic, she was right there with me. I mean, we were playing together at the, the you know, from the very beginnings, um, it, hitting the tournament scene together. And, um, and we said, you know what, let's, uh, let's, this is the perfect opportunity to just strike out on, on what we wanted to do. We're going to have time to do it. We're going to have a lot of home time to start developing a game. Um, well, I mean, we, we'd already been kicking around plenty of ideas. We've done a lot of, a lot of, um, um, you know, game, game development on a, on a, on a, on a non-commercial level. But we said, you know, why don't we really take this moment now to form an LLC, um, look at, look at the market and try to actually kickstart our first game. And, and, you know, that was, that was how we launched out on it. So um, come uh, September and uh, we hit launch on our first game. Uh, and, and so, you know, by that point, just to consider from where we were in February to September, um, and, and I will say we, we, uh, you know, we, we didn't just rush into it. Um, we'd, we'd given this a lot of thought before we just said, you know, this is the time to act and we're going to have a lot of downtime. So let's, let's act on it now and let's act on it in haste. And, uh, by the time we hit that launch button, we had sent out 24 uh, prototypes, all over the world, I mean, countries, you know, in, in, in Europe and um, uh, South America, and I mean, just, you know, all over the United States, Canada. Um, we had, uh, uh, you know, we had our, our Board Game Geek page. We were getting great reviews. We were um, getting good feedback from, from early previewers. Um, I mean, it was just all these things that we, that, 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 we, that we had accomplished. We'd never done it before. I mean, we'd never actually taken making games outside of our home. You know, I mean, we'd, we'd, we'd create our own games playing Dungeons and Dragons with, with the kids. You know, we'll, we'll sit around and, and, and create our own stories, create our own scenarios for Conan, create our own, um, you know, rule modifications to try to improve whatever game we've got. And we said, uh, this time, let's, let's, let's go for it. So when you look at what those kind of nine months uh, meant, um, there were zero uh, cons that we could attend. We were not able to go to one convention and and demo the game physically. So what did what did that leave us? Tabletop simulators. So we got the thing scripted for tabletop simulator. Um, you know, it, it 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 we had the communities, the social media communities, a board game design lab, and and uh, uh, you know several other places where we could kind of just reach out to the community and um, you know get, get get some great ideas from other people, kick ideas back and forth, and. And um, so when you consider that time frame uh, and, and what was going on in the world at that time, you know, it was really hard for us to not consider it a success, to not feel like a success the moment we hit the launch button because we had done our homework. Now, um, obviously, we hadn't done enough to fund successfully. We hadn't got the word out enough. Um uh, you know, and, and and like I said, I mean, the only way that story it doesn't end there. It's the end of the first chapter. Uh, you know, as as you know, we've launched a second time now. But um, the issue was simply uh, realizing that what it took to get there was uh, an uphill climb, and we had achieved it. Right, and I think that's something so important to realize: is success is not a binary thing. It's not pass fail. It is a spectrum. It is a process. 
And so to understand that just getting a game out of your head and onto a table is a massive success, especially when you're just starting out. And just getting your first prototype like tweaked and created where you can play around with the game and see if it works or if it's fun, huge success. Getting the game playtested for the first time, getting the game playtested by a group of strangers for the first time, getting the game playtested 20 times. Like there's so many different milestones that you can create for yourself that are successes, getting to a place where you could even think about launching a Kickstarter or think about pitching the game to a publisher because it's basically done and, and ready to get out there and see if it can become an actual product. Massive success just in doing that. And then obviously succeeding on Kickstarter, succeeding with getting your game signed and then published and then out into the world, all those things. We know those things, but I think just almost boiling success down into different smaller bites, smaller milestones can be hugely helpful in your game design journey and your publishing journey. One, it gives you dopamine because you're, you're checking things off and you feel like you're accomplishing things and you are, right? And, but it also gives you momentum. This is, it's the snowball that starts rolling down the hill and you pick up more and more snow as you go, more and more momentum. And it just helps you get across even bigger finish lines. But if you only think, okay, if this game doesn't get published or it doesn't get signed or doesn't fund on Kickstarter, then it's not a success. That's not, that's not accurate. And if that's what you want to define, then that's fine. I'm not going to tell you don't do that, but it's not completely accurate in my opinion to only have that kind of pass fail binary success or failure choice right there. I think there's a lot more to it. There's a lot bigger things. And also just looking at things as opportunities, not obstacles, failure, you know, failing on Kickstarter, it sucks. That's not mince words. It's, it's annoying, frustrating, uh, costly thing but at the same time it could be a huge opportunity to learn to grow to do things different to figure out yeah. what you're doing wrong uh, because honestly success ruins maybe more people than failure does yeah. and so i think that's something else to think about so let's actually let's take let's take it down that angle how does yeah. success sometimes ruin you more than failure mm, well yeah you know look at look at lottery winners right when when their numbers come up everybody would say man they just succeeded they hit the lotto uh, uh, I mean, everything I've heard, those people's lives are usually ruined when they actually win, right? I bankrupt mean, within seven years or 10 years, something like that. Like even yeah. if you win hundreds of millions of dollars, you're bankrupt within a decade. It's crazy. And, and, and the same goes for, you know, you look at, you look at so many overnight successes in, in, in pop rock, you know, and all these, all these different, you know, movie stars. I mean, a lot of times this overnight success, um, it ruins people. It destroys them. Uh, they're just not ready for that. And, and so again, you, you, yeah, they might be cashing million dollar checks, but if their life is in ruin, have they succeeded? And, uh, you know, again, this is one of the times where we sort of need to be able to distinguish between just cashing the checks and, and, and defining success or failure a little bit differently. And, uh, th that's where, that's where I think we need to just kind of have the right perspective on, and I, I don't just mean, um, having it up, up, you know, an uplift attitude, a, a, a kind of a, a positive attitude all the time. I mean, looking for ways in which the, the experience, like, like, for instance, I'll, I'll get real specific now, again, on our campaign, um, we, we hit the launch button. And in the first day, we funded over 30%. Um, as we know, that's, that's, that's not a, that's not a, a trajectory for success. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, we obviously wanted a, wanted a, a day one, you know, it, hopefully funding, um, you know, but I mean, I knew, I knew day one when we were at 30%, um, it, it just wasn't on the right path. 
and and it wasn't going to fund. I, it, you know, I, I've I've paid close enough attention. I've done my homework. I've listened to enough shows. I've 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 followed enough campaigns to know that it just we we hadn't done our homework enough, gotten the word out enough. Um, it was still too much of an unknown. We hadn't gotten in front of enough people. Uh, again, we hadn't been to any cons. We hadn't really, other than our, in our local scene in San Diego, we just really we we weren't in in um, many stores. So so here we were and. Um, we were forced with with the kind of brutal reality of here we are uh, we we are are not on a trajectory for success um, you know stranger things have happened it's always possible we're not going to write it off you know we, we watch it for the next couple of days but uh, but it, it it didn't seem likely and uh, and sure enough you know it, it it became really clear over the next few days we got to about forty percent and and it it stalled out. And so, you know, it's, it's the story of so many. I mean, it, it, it's, um, it, it and, and the conventional wisdom at that point, and if you've, you know, been paying attention to, to what, what most of the experts will say, you know, you pull the plug right then, you cancel the campaign. They say, I mean, I hear this over and over again, and I, I saw it in the community. People were saying it all over. Um, you know, the minute it, the minute it's not going to fund, you want to cancel. You don't want the attrition to occur. You don't want the negativity. You don't want people backing out of the campaign. You don't want all that to happen. And, um, and I get that. I understand, I understand, again, the psychological effect that it can have when uh, people start dropping out of the campaign. You could end up going from your high point, uh, you know, say at, at 40% or whatever it is, um, down to, uh, you know, 20%. I mean, it could, it, you could, it could drop out. It could, everybody could just pull out of the thing. And so, you know, you don't want that to happen. Nevertheless, you know, we really saw the opportunity in our campaign. I mean, Part of the thing is we wanted the experience. We wanted the experience. Would it be better? Would it have been better for us to say, well, let's just wait and launch our campaign on the other side of, of COVID after we've got to maybe go to Gen Con here in San Diego or, or uh, the Comic Con, sorry, or, uh, you know, yeah, any of the LA um, cons or what if we could actually, you know, go to some things and really get the word out and how long will we have to wait to do that? Um, if If we don't, if we don't, uh, uh, you know, make a decision to either just strike now, even if we're unprepared, we, we will at least have the experience. We'll be able to put it under our belt. We've done a Kickstarter. We know what it looks like. We know how to, we know, we know how to, you know, go through the, the ropes to get there. And um, we saw the opportunity. We embraced it. And we said, this is our best marketing opportunity is to have a live Kickstarter and to be able to send people to it and to be able to say, Hey, look, we're, you know, um, we're live right now. Uh, you know, would you check it out? Give us your thoughts. And we did that all the way up to the end. And I will tell you, our numbers grew. I, I'm not saying we didn't have, you know, a handful of people drop out over the course of the month. It was a 30 day campaign. It happened. Obviously we did have numbers, uh, but very few, very few dropped. And every single day we climbed up, which is, remarkable that, that, um, you know, and again, we never crossed the finish line. We got to around 60% funding. We never made it, but, um, but again, that experience for us and for our backers to be honest with them. I mean, you know, they don't want to be lied to and they don't want to be, you can't put on a false, a false, you know, face and, and, and try to be hopeful and act like this is going to happen. You don't want to say, yeah, we know this is going to happen. Just a, a false sense of, of positivity, but, um, to be able to just be real about it and say, uh, 
you know, this is this is what we're doing. This is how we're going for it. We hope that you can support us. You know, we've, we've got plans to launch again. Uh, we'd love for you to stick around, that sort of thing. Um, I, I feel like it was a success. At the end, we had 150 backers, which I think who, who hung on to the very end that I think are going to be there. There, You know, I mean, that's that's those are our people right there. And, and that, that's a good starting place for, um, you know, down the road. I mean, that we've got people now who, who are for us, they want to see us succeed, and I'm going to measure success that way. Right, and neither one of us are sitting here trying to glorify mediocrity or even glorify failure. I mean, it's it's still failure. It still hurts. It's still a, a tough thing. You're never going to look back on failure and go, "Man, that was awesome." I'm so glad that you know. But at the same time, you can look at it in perspective and take the long view, like you're saying, take the the longer, the bigger perspective as far as what we're building. And I think there's a lot of value. It comes in humble beginnings, starting off smaller versus starting off and having some kind of breakout massive success. Because like I was saying earlier, success destroys a lot of people, especially on Kickstarter. And I mean, how many campaigns have successfully funded, but then the campaign creators either never delivered the game, they never finished it for variable reasons, or they did deliver finally. It took them three years, right? And so this huge amount of time went by. And so it's like, well, that was successful, but man, it took a long time to get there. Or they finally delivered, but then they didn't have any money. They actually went in the hole. They went bankrupt because they miscalculated on the shipping or they miscalculated how much it was going to cost to do all these different things. And so long-term, their company actually failed. I think that happens a lot more than than we realize or recognize, especially because we just look at those big, beautiful numbers that are on Kickstarter, you know, 300,000, half million dollars, whatever it is, and we don't maybe follow the full journey, the full story. And this is something I heard years ago from, from a pastor who was talking to other pastors, and she said, you got to be careful because your talent can take you where your integrity can't keep you. And she was talking about how, how many people out in the world just want to be famous and want to be people that are you know getting all these millions of views on YouTube and all this stuff. But to take that into a little bit different angle and look at it from a game design, game publishing standpoint, I think you have to be careful that your product doesn't take you where your business can't keep you. Because if you don't have the right business infrastructure in place and the right people to help you with all the different aspects, you could have a really amazing hit and it absolutely destroy your finances, your business cripple you that you won't even be able to, to keep doing this because of the success. And so I think it's important to realize that. And if, so if you have humble beginnings, if you have a small a start, that's okay. Like to be okay with that. Like that might be a huge blessing in disguise. I know Jamie Stegmeyer has talked about that, how his campaign, his very first campaign didn't get the metal coin stretch goal. And because it didn't hit that stretch goal, he actually was able to have the money to go do another game. And if he had hit that stretch goal, then it would have bankrupted his company because the metal coins ended up costing way more than he anticipated. And it would have just ruined his company financially really before it even got started. And so I think that's something just to, to keep in mind. This podcast, it started off with 100 downloads, I think, 100 or something like that, uh, of the first episode, which was 90 more than I anticipated. I was expecting like 10 people to show up and be like, hey, I want to listen to this thing. And 100 showed up. I was like, oh, okay, cool. But out of that 100, which no one's going to get excited about 100, I mean, <laughs> so many podcasts now get millions of downloads every episode. But that episode now, four years later, has been downloaded over 20,000 times. And so it, it starts small and then you just build it up. And I think, I think the same thing goes for designing games, publishing games. It's okay to start small, figure things out, have some failures that are $1,000 failures, not $20,000 failures early on, and then build up from there. That's right. And, and you know, I, I mentioned this earlier, Kickstarter is marketing. You know, it's not game design. We need to remember that. I mean, there's, when, when you're doing an independent publishing thing, uh, whew, 
you've got to wear a, a million different hats, right? You know, so uh, it, it's not a measure of of the game. Um, you know, I, I remember. I think one of the one of the best feelings I had was when um, one of the one of the reviewers that I uh, had sent a, um, an early prototype to, and she had uh, reviewed the game. She had fun with it, and uh, she uh, got together with her with her the friends that she you know that, that, that they review the games together. And she texted me afterwards and said, you know, I, I want you to know, um, after we had, uh, after we, we, you know, checked out, previewed another game, um, the, the whole table asked me, Hey, did you bring Regency? We want to play that game again. And, and I thought, Oh man, now that is success. That's solid gold. You know, um, I had, I had another reviewer who, who told me, um, I, I asked him, I said, Hey, c- could you give me like a, he, he was really kind of excited about the game. And I said, you know, I'd love to get like a little quote from you. Could you tell me something that, uh, that, that really is, uh, you know, kind of encapsulates your experience. And, and he said to me, he said, um, um, sure. I, I love Regency. And afterwards he said, um, uh, my, my wife even loves the game and she hates the games I review. And then, and then I, you know, responded to him and, and he said, oh, no, 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 that's not the quote. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's way better than any quote you can give me. I, I love it. <laughs> I mean, those, those are successes. And, uh, you know, I, I experience that every time when, when my friends come over and they're like, hey, can, can we play Regency? And I'm like, man, I mean, you know, we've got, we've got all the games on the shelf and you want to play Regency? I just feel so honored by that. And I feel like, um, I feel like I've got a success on my hands and, you know, now I got to do the work and it's just the next step is, is, is the marketing. And that's, that's always the attitude you got to have. Yeah. And that's a really good point that when people buy a game or I guess pre-order back a game, back a game on Kickstarter, they're really buying the idea of your game. They're not really buying your game. They're buying the idea of it and how good they think they're going to feel when they play it, because more than likely they haven't played it. Now, if they played it at a convention or, or something like that, that's different. But for the most part, backers are just buying the concept of your game and they're going to wait a year and then hopefully it lines up with what they were buying. But yeah, it's a good point. A lot of it just does boil down to marketing and the way you position it in the marketplace and build it up and hype it up and that kind of thing. So that's something else to keep in mind. Don't take it as a failure for your game, maybe just a failure in your marketing, failure in your push, failure in the way you presented game the game to your potential uh, backers. Now let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about what do you do when things don't go well, when you fail at Kickstarter or you fail pitching your game to a publisher and they just reject you for whatever reason, you fail and all these other opportunities, how do you deal with that? What questions do you ask? Who do you ask those questions? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. First thing you do is you improve. That's what you do. You look at it and you have to say, well, what did I do? What could I have done better? And um, it, by all means, you reach out to people. In fact, one of the one of the things I did afterwards was, um, you know, kind of measured. Okay, what are the things I did wrong? What could I have done better? Um, all you can do is, you know, once you have it, because you never know. You never know until you try. So, you know, having never done it before, uh, and not even having a, a, a relationship, a direct personal relationship with someone who had, um, it was all kind of speculative. Until you do it, you're just you're just speculating, and and having done it. You know, it's it's kind of like you, you if you want to if you want to throw a javelin, um, you, you got to throw it once, see how far you get it before you've got now a a, a mark to beat. You know, I mean that you've got to you got to start somewhere and see where it lands and say, okay, well now I know how much more I, I need to work on this in order to get it across that distance. So 
um, you know, then you go to those who have you, you, um, I mean, one of the things I, I did right away was that, of course, going board game design lab has always been before going into it. Um, uh, but even it, all, all the more so coming out of it and saying, maybe I need to take some of these other networks a little more seriously. Uh, I, I got engaged with, uh, you know, Matt Holden at the uh, uh, Indie Game Alliance and said, OK, let's let's consider this now. You know, what 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 can you do to, to, to help me understand the, the market? It's an unfamiliar, unfamiliar market to me. Um, talk to Andrew Lowen. With next level web and said okay what can you do help helping me with the marketing side you know and um, i mean these are all people you've had on your show and and I, i've got a list of all the people and i said you know who can i talk to that um that uh you know can can improve my experience for next time and then the other opportunity it gave me was to consider every bit of feedback that i'd gotten from everybody who played the game including the most critical feedback and instead of you know we have a tendency if we hear anything that's not just, you know, absolutely positive. Um, we just, we don't want to hear it. And you know what? It's the things that aren't absolutely positive that are sometimes the best to hear. It's what we need to hear because how can we grow from that? And and whatever, um, you know, whatever elements that people have remarked on that we, we were able to say, you know what, let's, uh, let's improve the artwork in this area. Let's improve the mechanics in this area. We've added features to the game since that um, made Regency so much better than the way it was back then. So it's just looking at every single opportunity to just improve what we're doing from the marketing standpoint to the game standpoint, to just keep moving forward and doing better. Right. And I think it's so important to know who your stakeholders are in your game or in your company, your campaign, and go to those people first and foremost and say, hey, here is where we're at. Here's the truth. Here is just the reality of the situation. Let me get your thoughts. Let me get your feedback. And let's start trying to figure this out together. I think that's why it's so important not to design games in isolation or in a silo. It's important to have other people that are contributing, not necessarily co-designers, although I recommend co-designers if you can do that, but having people there, maybe like your core play testers, having a group of people that are right there, helping you make the game better along its complete journey or having people, whether they're family members or really good friends that, that are there and they've, they've kind of seen the process. Or with Kickstarter, you've got your backers. So the campaign didn't fund, but now you have 100 people, 200 people, however many people that are your core audience, that people that raised their hand and said, hey, I want a copy of this. Okay, they are now your stakeholders. And so you can go to them and say, how do we make this thing better? And you, you invite them into the story. You invite them into the process of making the entire experience better, making the game better, the, the components, the pro as a product, making it better, the campaign as a, as a uh, or everything that has to do with the campaign or the marketing but you're talking to the people that are your core audience, your core stakeholders, I think first and foremost. And then I would then I would ask myself, I think I would go to them first and I would take that information and that data. And when I say I would, I mean, this is what I did when I failed a Kickstarter campaign a while back. <laughs> and so I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, and I took that information, that feedback, the, you know, those ideas from those people. And then I brought it in and I started looking at it for myself through the lens of what they were saying. And so it wasn't just me coming in because as a, personally, I have a tendency where I just want to blame the market. It's like, well, you know, it's just the wrong people who got in front of, you know, it's, it's the market's fault. Maybe, or maybe it's me. And so it's helpful to ask me second and ask these other people first. Now that doesn't work for everybody. I'm just saying that is my personal process that I've found a success with. And then after stakeholders and then me, then I start asking people in general, general board game design lab community, or there's lots of Facebook communities about Kickstarter and tabletop games, all that. 
then I start reaching out to other people who aren't stakeholders, who aren't close to the project, because then you get the outsider looking in. You get other people from different angles and perspectives. And now that information, that data is usually not as good as the stakeholders or as yours, but it's still going to maybe provide with some, provide you with some nuggets of wisdom and things that you can change, things you can do, uh, do better. Maybe, maybe your images weren't good. Maybe you just didn't have enough preview videos. Maybe the way you pitched your game to that publisher, maybe it's just the wrong publisher. Like you get a lot of really good information from outside sources uh, as well. And so I think figuring out who am I going to ask and what questions am I going to ask? Now, let me ask you this. What, what questions did you ask your backers about ways to make the game better or the project, the campaign better? What were some specifics? Yeah, that's an important part of it is is really just leveling with people, being real honest, asking them for their feedback, for their opinions. Um, and uh, fortunately, because I had the game on Tabletop Simulator, I've had it all along, so I could always send people there to actually play it and, and, and experience it for themselves. And, you know, one of the things I, I will say, this this definitely stood out. There, there, were, there were two big recommendations they had. And so we addressed both of these points. The first one was um, it's an interactive game and it plays best with a group. So it could be played from two to eight, uh, excuse me, two to six people. Uh, it plays best with, uh, you know, with more because uh, there's a lot more activity going on. It's, it's interactive. So you're taking actions and people are reacting, you know, kind of like, kind of like in magic where you've got, um, you know, sorceries and instants and, you know, you're, you're kind of interrupting one another. Um, and so, so it, it's more dynamic when you have um, more people at the table playing it. And so, People said, yeah, you know, the two-player game is, is, is lacking a little bit. Uh, some of the cards don't feel like they're, um, you know, they're, they're just kind of hammering on people. And we said, okay, how can we adjust that so that we, it's not that same kind of experience. And the other thing that, uh, that, that they recommended was um, variable uh, powers that, that the regents, because in regency, you know, you take on the role of a regent. And um, there, there are all these different types of regions from military and, and nobles and merchants and all these different types. And so to, to make each one feel more unique, to give them um, asymmetric powers built in that they're able to perform. Uh, you know, so there were, there were a couple different recommendations that we took that we said, yeah, we can improve on every single one of these things. And, and all the feedback we got back, uh, we, we were able to implement every single one of them. So just hearing from them. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why, why, um, people wanted to stick with us because they knew that we were sincere in actually taking action. We weren't just paying lip service to it. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Now, when it comes to learning from other people, this is something I've told my, my students in my English class, class over and over again. Failure is the best teacher in the world, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your failure. Like, feel free to learn from other people's failures and then not do those things that they did that caused them problems. And so tell me about your process of going to other campaigns that didn't do so well or failed or in whatever capacity. And tell me about some of the things that you learned from looking at others. Now, so, I don't know if this is best practices, worst practices, looking at their worst practices and maybe their best practices as far as like how they came back from it. Tell me about some of that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, um, it's obviously when you look around at a lot of different campaigns and you, you tend to focus on the ones that succeeded and um, the, the, the trend I've already mentioned it, the trend that, that is kind of the overwhelming trend is when people see they're not going to succeed. Um, they cancel. And um, that's, that's something that I kind of decided I, I didn't want to do. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, I mean, people have done it and, and I don't, I don't fault them for doing it. I mean, there, there's definitely occasions to do that. 
Um, you know, so that, that's the other thing to, to be aware of is in the community, everybody's got an opinion on, on kind of how, you know, the best way to approach it and everybody's opinion is going to differ. And, you know, you have to get through that a little bit. You have to realize that, that um, it, sometimes you put something out there and uh, particularly in, in, you know, in, uh, in a community where you say, what do you guys think? And you get kind of an overwhelming response. But other times you put something, you know, you ask a question and for every single person, they've got a different opinion. And so you've got to realize, okay, I'm going to have to really go with my gut on this one because um, everybody can, can state it firmly with conviction, but, you know, and give reason for why, but, um, but they're all conflicting and, and there is no just one, one right way to do it. And so that's where, yeah, you want to take it in. You want to look at the different examples and grow from them, but you have to know, um, what it is you're you're setting out to do, and in my case, the goal isn't having a successful Kickstarter. It's not creating Regency. That's not the goal. The goal is starting an independent game company, and with with a long term goal of multiple Kickstarters. Right? Um, you know, we 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 knew going into it when we said, well, let's start with this game right here. It's because it's achievable. It's a, it's kind of a gateway game. It's a, it's a family game. It's a smaller, lightweight game, um, uh, lower production cost. It's just, just lower room for failure, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's cheaper to deliver on. And so we chose to start with that kind of game. Now, if we had chosen to start with a bigger, heavier game, a miniatures based game, or, you know, all these other things to me, that's like, six or a dozen new ways to fail or opportunities, I should say, to fail, right? It, it would present you with all these great, you know, now all of a sudden you've got a you know, hundred dollar game with all these miniatures and you're promising all these things and you, you don't know what it's going to look like. And it, your box is heavier and you're going to ship it internationally, but you've never done that before. So we knew now, obviously those, those fund a lot better. I mean, those are typically when you've got your, your crunchy kind of, you know, your dungeon crawls or your, uh, something that's full of plastic people love those on Kickstarter and those are the ones that usually can fund successfully if they're, if they're done right, you know, again, they're, they're pretty and they've got the visuals. Um, but, uh, there's just a lot more that could go wrong. So we knew from setting out, look, we're, we don't want to be a one and done. We're not looking to have one successful, um, successfully funded campaign that we're going to have trouble delivering on, or that there's a bunch of unknown variables that, that we're not really prepared for. Let's start modest. Let's start now. Let's uh, get it out. Let's let's get our first failures uh, under our belt and learn from them, and um, be be ready to move on to the second, the third, and the fourth step. And um, that was just the approach we took. And you know, because of that, we we understand that the the lighter weight games uh, don't don't tend to do as well on Kickstarter. That's that you know, um, uh, party games and uh, more social games and things like that are, are not are not really the main the mainstay for Kickstarter, uh, lower price point games. Are, you know, if it's if it's cards, it doesn't necessarily stand out as unique. And so um, we realized we had that uphill climb for our first uh, for our first campaign. But at the same time, we wanted to take that on as just a more modest goal, so that um, you know there was less risk in it. And and I don't mean on our end. I really mean like on our you know, on our backers, those who are, who are uh, supporting us, we don't, we don't want to fail them. And so, I mean, to me, that's, you know, real failure is failure to deliver. <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if, if we don't, if we don't 
get the audience right away, that's fine because I, I believe we're you know we're we're going to keep carrying that audience forward, right? So so uh, we just wanted to minimize the opportunities for us to kind of burn bridges and do something wrong, and so that's why we took that approach. Right, and I think it's a decent one to do. I don't think it works for everybody. I don't think everyone fits into this kind of one size fits all box, but it is definitely something to think about, and also you know understanding your platform going on something like Kickstarter and looking at the market and saying, okay, here's what does really well. Here's what doesn't do quite as well. And knowing what you're up against, knowing the other products in in the marketplace and trying to figure out where you're going to fit into those things. And maybe your marketing needs to change based on that. Maybe you need to spend a little more time leading up to it than you would if you had some kind of hundred dollar box of miniatures or something like that. It's just a little bit different things to think about as far as like the best practices. And I think another thing that's super vital to understand, super important in the context of this conversation is understanding that failure might end up being one of the better things to ever happen to you because maybe it leads to something you didn't anticipate, you didn't expect. Maybe it leads to a much bigger success down the road. I know with this whole podcast, this whole board game design lab thing at all came off of a huge failure in my own life. Before I did this, before I started this podcast, I was uh, working on something completely different. I wrote a book, a book called So That, which is a book about spirituality and about God and different things, you know, that's uh, kind of in that side of things. And I was going to be a public speaker and I was going to use this book to launch my public speaking career. And I was going to go around speaking at schools and churches and doing this whole thing. And I, I built a website and, you know, I wrote this book, put a ton of effort and energy and money into writing this book. And I created this whole video class course, online course thing for it. I mean, it took basically a year of my life that I was working on this and I put it out into the world and nobody cared. <laughs> I think I sold a few hundred copies of the book. Um, probably most of those are to my mom that she you know, gave to her friends. But, you know, it just didn't go the way I thought it would. It didn't go the way that I had put effort into. I feel like the amount of effort I put into it, I should have at least realized a certain amount of success. And it just didn't happen. I think three people bought the video course that went along with the book. Like it just didn't go very well. And so when I was assessing, okay, well, that didn't work out. And I put all the time and effort and energy and the money and the marketing and the email list, and all the stuff, did all the things you're supposed to do. It didn't go very well. It didn't go well at all. And then, so I stepped back and I said, okay, well, that didn't, that didn't pan out. What else? What else could I do? If I'm not going to do that, what else could I do? And that's where this podcast came out of uh, mm-hmm. because a year and a half prior, I'd written down all these different ideas, things I was like, okay, I could do this. I could do that. And just had this kind of big list. And the number one thing I wanted to try was write the book, try to do the public speaking gig, all that kind of stuff. And then number two or number three was a game design podcast. And so when the number one thing didn't work out, I just went right down to the next thing on the list. I was like, okay, well, let's try this whole game design podcast thing. And so I spent several months building up the knowledge and buying the equipment and figuring out how do you do this? How do you run a podcast? How do you interview people? How do you build a website? And I started putting all these things together. And then that turned out to be one of the biggest successes of my life. And here we are a little over four years later and it's it looks like it's going to continue growing and keep becoming a bigger and bigger thing. So you never know when a giant failure might turn into one of the bigger successes that you have. And so it's all about keeping an open mind, take a step back, assess situation. Maybe you need to pivot and do something totally different. Maybe the game didn't go well on Kickstarter. Take a step back, pivot, do something different. Maybe it's not even worth a relaunch. That could be possible. And I just want to encourage people to think, hey, maybe that's the case. Maybe the market's just not ready for this type of game, or maybe it's just not a good fit for the market. That could also be the case. And so Maybe, maybe James, tell me a little bit, maybe in your own story of things that you've had to take a step back and go, you know what, that didn't work out, but let me try something completely different or you've had to pivot and, and do something else that actually turned out to be a decent success. Well, you know, um, 
it's it's funny. I'm I'm a professional educator, so uh, I, I'm getting into games is not something that I need to do professionally. It's not something that I was looking at even as um, uh, a, a something to you know as a supplemental income necessarily. Um, I mean, it's just something we do. We've uh, we've always played games. So you know, just just to, to establish my life and my profession. Um, I've been married for uh, 23 years. We've got four kids. So we've gotten to the point of plenty of rocky roads to, to get to where we are. Um, for a lot of people, I just turned 44. Um, a lot of people would say, you know, why in the world would you step out on a limb and try to start something new when, of course, when failure is an option, right? You know, why do that? There's, there's no need to do that. And and again, I'll say for me, um, there was an opportunity COVID provided. Um, and, you know, most of what I did, even in my uh, professional life and my, in my educational um, pursuits, uh, they were even before my kids were, can remember, right? So this was an opportunity for us to actually say, you know what, kids, you know, life is full of opportunities and you got to grab a hold of them. And, um, you know, you got to take risks and so this was one of those things where I just saw an opportunity to pull them in alongside me um, and, and something that all of our family can do together. And uh, really looking at it as, as uh, just an occasion for learning, for growth, for development as a family, for, for teaching them, look, this is what it takes to succeed. Uh, because most of the successes and or failures that I'd experienced up to this point in my life, they, they hadn't been there for it. You know, my youngest is, is seven, got a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old and a, and a 17-year-old. And, um, and so, you know, they just know their dad is a professor and, and seemingly, you know, pretty accomplished. They didn't see what it took to get there. And so, yeah, to take a step out and say, well, let's, let's try something I've never done before. And, you know, uh, not, not particularly, well, um, you know, it, it experienced it at the, the social media side of things, uh, which is a big part of the marketing uh, element. And, uh, you know, let's just just step out there and take a chance. And um, I, I again, I think just leading in that way and uh, being vulnerable, being willing to fall down, say, OK, this is this is what it looks like. This is how you get up. This is the next steps this is where we're headed. Um, that's, that's, again, that's, that's an experience and that's an opportunity and that's very valuable. Absolutely. And personally, I would much rather say, oh, well, than what if, and I would much rather look back on something that didn't turn out the way I hoped didn't turn out well, turned out as an absolute failure. I'd rather look back and see, see it turn out that way and be able to say, oh, well, at least I know then, man, I wonder what if, I wonder what would happen if I went out on a limb, if I put myself in this position to fail, if I tried these things, I wonder what if, I don't want to say what if about this kind of stuff. And uh, looking back at my own past, there's lots of failure. There are lots of things I can say, oh, well, about, but there's very few that I can say what if. And that is just personally the way that I want to live. And I would encourage other people to uh, give some thought. And maybe it's a, a good way to live for you as well. Again, there's no one size fits all, but I do think that that is a, a valuable uh, endeavor, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's creative or athletic or whatever, uh, in, in, in the world of business or whatever. Uh, I think it's just a, a, an interesting way to look at things. And if you've launched a Kickstarter and failed, well, you can say, oh, well, but at least you can't say what if, and maybe it does turn into a bigger launch 
down the road, assuming you learn from it, assuming you come back smarter and, and better. Well, James, this has been excellent. I mean, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to add or want to encourage people with? Um, yeah, I just, I hope if, if, uh, if anything that I just help people to kind of look at the situation a, a little differently and not get caught up with just the monetary success or, or, um, you know, to, to realize that success is just, is, is measured very differently. And, and a, a big part of it is just the growth, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, but I'm a Conan fan and I'll, I'll reference, uh, the Conan, the Barbarian, the 1982 with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it, it opens up with the, with the Nietzsche quote, you know, that which does not kill us makes us stronger. And, uh, you know it, that was that was the theme of, of of that film, but I mean it's it's so true that um, you know if it knocks us down, it can even leave a scar. But um, the only way that that, that we're truly going to be defeated is if it knocks us out of the race. But as long as we're in it, we're taking steps forward, and every single step is one step closer to success. Right, and I think it's also super important, super valuable to define what success is for you personally or for your business, for your, your game, whatever it is, define it. And don't just define it in your head, but actually write it down and put it in a place that's prominent where you can see it on a regular basis, where if you sit down to your desk to work on, uh, at your desk to work on a game, you look up and you see this idea of success that you have generated for you in this moment. And now maybe that means a million dollar Kickstarter. Maybe that's what success looks like. Or maybe it just means I want to get to the first play test. And I've written that down as, as a, an idea, as a goal, as success for the next milestone is get to the first play test or get to the place where I can pitch the game to five publishers, get to the place where I have built a, uh, a Kickstarter campaign page, or I have successfully funded on Kickstarter, whatever it is, but write it down, define it, put it close to you, tell other people about it. Because when you do that, it makes you, first of all, a lot more likely to succeed in that milestone, but also it kind of helps you keep things in perspective. You don't maybe uh, wander off and look at other people and compare their success to yours. Like, no, I have defined success for me or for my game or for my company, and this is what it looks like, and this is what I'm chasing after, and I'm not super concerned about other stuff or other people. I think that's super, uh, super helpful. So uh, anyway, closing, closing thoughts. Uh, James, anything to add to that? No, I think you said it all. Awesome. Well, James, you got a game on Kickstarter again uh, right now. And so tell me about that and uh, you know where, where people can find it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's on Kickstarter right now. Uh, and here's my pitch. Take up the mantle of history's greatest rulers in Regency, a civilization-themed tableau-building interactive card game where you get to compete across time as Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, Suleiman the Magnificent, or Queen Elizabeth. Set against a historical and multicultural backdrop, Regency simulates the struggle for power and control that has marked the rise and fall of the world's greatest empires. Acting as regents, players use cards to perform actions and reactions out of their hands and to exert influence over citizens as they seek to amass the greatest fiefdom in all of history. With the addition of each new cast of citizen, including nobles, religious, military, merchants, commoners, and even brigands, new actions have become available, resulting in an ever-escalating dynamic and competitive environment until the crowning moment comes when one regent emerges supreme. So I, I should add that uh, Regency is a lightweight, family-friendly, or what some might call a gateway game that's designed for two to six players, ages 10 and up. Awesome. Well, James, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with Regency on Kickstarter. Good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thanks so much for giving me this opportunity, Gabe. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, 
the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?